Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 149. It's October 31st, 2015. Happy Halloween. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I want to continue our end of the year theme about things that you can start to think about now and to put into place so that when you go into the new year in 2016, you can be setting yourself up to have a more successful wealth-setting lifestyle than what you had this year. So in today's episode, the topic that I want to focus on that I know that many of you are having problem with is debt. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Before we do, I just want to mention that this Friday closed out not only the week, but also the, for the month of October. The stock market overall ended on a high note. It's had a pretty good run-up over the last four weeks. This is a rally that I haven't been participating in because I remain skeptical. I'm concerned that the prices in equities and in stocks are rising well above a level that's justified by the actual fundamentals. If you look at the decrease in not only earnings rates, but also revenues, that are occurring not only in our country, but globally, it's hard for me to believe that this rally isn't going to correct and roll over. Remember, we're six and a half years into the third longest bull market in history. A lot of this has been driven, if not most of it, has been driven not only by our central bank, the four and a half trillion dollars that are that is on the uh, uh, American Federal Reserve balance sheet, but also the massive, unprecedented amount of central bank intervention that we've seen throughout the world. Now, we're getting to a point, though, that after seven or eight years, we're seeing the diminishing returns of that, that even though the central bankers keep pumping in more money, we're getting out less and less results. Productivity and technology and innovation are unable to keep pace with the phony baloney money that's being interjected into the system. And so I think at some point this rally is coming to an end. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future, uh, nor do I offer you any advice or recommendations on this podcast. I'm just talking out loud. I'm telling you my ideas. I let you know my position. My position remains the same. For the most part, I have an overweighted position in the U.S. dollar, which I'm using that mostly just to keep pace with inflation. I think that despite the problems that we have in the U.S., other countries around the world keep devaluating their currency even more. If you remember back to the flash crash that we had in August of this year, it happened after the Chinese devaluated their currency by just as little as 2%. That was enough to send shock waves throughout the global markets. I don't think that devaluation on a large scale, is over yet. I think we're going to see it not only in the emerging countries, but also more in the developed countries and then throughout all the economy. So even while the U.S. dollar becomes devaluated because of the actions of our fiscal and our monetary policy, it still stays ahead of the rest of the currencies because they're devaluating at a faster rate than we are. And again, the corporate profits, the corporate revenue that we're seeing on the stock exchanges that is not keeping pace with the amount of valuation, expansion, and increase in overall asset prices. So I think at some point, either earnings and revenue have to catch up or stock prices have to come down. I'm betting on the fact that stock prices are still coming down. Now, having said all that, as I said, this was a very good month. October was one of the better months on record. However, if you look at the way the month was closed out on this Friday, when the markets closed, Virtually all asset classes had a negative reversal and closed down for the for the day and for the week. For example, the S&P 500 was down. All the other major indexes were down. 
Gold was down. The U.S. dollar was down. Oil was down. Interest rates were down. It's rare that you see everything being down all at once in a major reversal, a major negative reversal, and at the same time having that come in with above average volume. But that's pretty much what we saw on Friday. Now, while that's not an exact harbinger for things, you know, for bad things to come or a total negative omen, you do have to take pause and you have to say, well, why at the end of such a good month did everything sell off? And again, not just one asset class, but everything from cash to gold to oil to the S&P 500, they basically all turn negative. That's a bad way to close out the month. So keep an eye on that. I think the market is extremely volatile. Again, that's a reason why I'm staying out for now. But I do want to stress that I'm not burying my money in the backyard. I'm not hiding it under the mattress. I'm not putting it all in, you know, platinum and keeping that in a, in a bank account in, in Switzerland. I'm keeping my assets liquid and available so that when the right opportunity comes, and it will, this market will eventually consolidate to the point where it does break up to go on to all-time new highs, or it will break apart and go down to make new lows. In either case, once we get a definitive trend and the on one day, off the next day volatility, when that goes away, once that trend is established, and I think that's coming in, in the coming weeks and months, there will be some excellent opportunities to jump into specific stocks and specific sectors of the economy by using exchange-traded funds to take advantage of those movements. That's when you'll see clear signs where there will be near-term and long-term trends in place where money will rotate out of one asset class and rotate into another. This asset rotation is what people thought they were seeing the past three months or so in things like energy and commodities. But I didn't jump into that and I did caution you about that. I mentioned that I thought people were getting in too early to this oil rally and that it wasn't going to hold up. And that was the case. Once we got up around $50 a barrel, it collapsed again, went down as low as uh, close to $42. And then again, a few days later, because of the volatility, it bounced back up to 45 or 46 and that's where we stand right now with West Texas Intermediate, right around $46 a, a barrel. I think that's headed lower again, but in any case, it doesn't seem like it's able to get above $50. You're not going to see, in my opinion, you're not going to see a major reversal or a major move up in oil stocks and in that sector if oil can't get above $50 a barrel over the long run. And so all of the rush into materials and into the energy sector, I think, has been premature. I'm expecting that to come back down. And then again, at some point in the future, it will be the right time to buy in to these particular sectors of the economy, which are going to be favored. And that's where we'll make our money. But I don't think the time is now. I think it's too volatile. I don't want to commit my portfolio 100% to any of these ventures because I'm afraid that there's too much thin ice out there and the bottom can be pulled out from under us. Well, that's enough about the economy. Let's talk about how if you're in debt, you're in slavery and how you're just never going to be able to get ahead. I want to caution you up front that I don't have an absolute 100% solution for you if you are someone that's way overextended and deeply in debt. And that's because it's your actions that got you there. And I'm telling you the truth. 
you know, you can listen to Dave Ramsey. He has some excellent plans for how to, you know, move out of debt. You can possibly, depending upon what kind of situation you're in, go to some kind of debt consolidator that can try and help you. You can do all these different things, but the bottom line is you got yourself in debt. Your debt was accumulated over a period of years because you had a lifestyle that you were living that was larger than the income you were producing. And ultimately, the only way to get out of that is to change your lifestyle. You have to look in the mirror. You have to be the man or the woman that takes responsibility for that and does something to change it. So just by getting out of some credit card debt or just by trying to roll things over into some other type of a consolidation process and, and then moving that into a second mortgage on your house so that you can pay off all your debt and do it at a lower interest rate and you know on and on, all these strategies, well, none of that will work if you don't change your lifestyle, if you don't uh, attack the cancer that's causing you to spend more than you earn. If you're new to the Wealth Studying Podcast or if you haven't listened to the 10 Wealth Building Principles in a while, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to episode number two. That's where I talk about the second Wealth Building Principle, and that's live debt-free. Now, I'm going to rehash some of those things in this episode, but that is a standalone podcast. I'd encourage you to listen to it. It's available in Stitcher and iTunes, all those places. The archives of old episodes are always available at wealthsteading.com. So that's episode number two, Live Debt Free. Let me digress here and get to the title of today's episode, which is 50 Shades of Debt, and that all has to do with living debt free. I was talking to uh, some younger people the other day. Younger people to me, quote kids, is anybody that's probably 30 years old or younger. So this group of people I were talking, I was talking to was probably in their late twenties, something, something like that. They were talking about their student loan debt. They were talking about how the rents are too high and many of them are still living at home with their parents. They were talking about how expensive their, their car and their transportation is and how they just can't get ahead. You know, no matter what kind of job they get, it's never enough. And then one of them made a reference to a fictional character. I think her name was Anastasia. And as I've told you many times in this podcast, you know, I'm not really, I'm not a hip person. I'm not up to date on a lot of things. I know virtually nothing about popular culture. When I was a kid, I wasted a lot of years of my life watching TV. I was able to break that habit, but I do have a very uh, active memory of all the junk, garbage, popular culture stuff that was on TV from like the 1960s and 70s. But beyond that, I know very little. And I'm also not someone that really enjoys professional sports or really sports in general. So you can talk about college football or professional hockey or baseball or something. And in most cases, I just smile and nod my head because I can't add anything to the conversation because I really have no idea. I mean, I honestly and truly right now, I couldn't tell you whether the Chicago Cubs were a baseball team or a football team. I mean, I really just have no idea. And so when people talk about actresses or actors or movies or, you know, sports teams, celebrities, most of the time, I have no idea who they're talking about. And I just smile my smile and nod my head and, 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 you know, agree with the conversation. In any case, this group of young people, they were talking about this Anastasia girl, how she was in this bondage relationship and how she just couldn't break free. And they made some kind of jokes and references to it. And again, I kind of nodded my head and smiled. And then I started talking about the bondage that I imagined that this poor girl was in, you know, the student loan debt. 
And she probably went to school and got a, a degree in English and she had an $80,000 student loan debt. And now she was working as a waitress or something, or she was a school teacher and making $40,000 with a $80,000 plus student loan debt. And she had her car payment and yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. And then I come to find out that the type of bondage that this girl was in was not exactly what I had in mind. And so thus the title of today's episode, 50 Shades of Debt. Now, there are probably more like 50 million shades of debt, but I just used that popular title to piggyback on the theme that debt is bondage. If you are in debt, you are a slave to one degree or another. You think about a slave, what happens to a slave? They work all day and then all the fruits of their labor have taken away from them. They're not allowed to accumulate any assets. They're not allowed to profit from their work. They are given a place to live. They're uh, given clothing. They are given food. They are given health care. They're given all the things that are necessary to put them back out into the fields tomorrow so that they can work again for master. That's what a slave is. And you have to ask yourself, to what degree are you a slave? To what degree are you working simply to put a house over your head and to put food in your stomach and working to keep yourself housed and dressed, clothed and health care and things like that? And of those things that you're receiving, are you truly enjoying them? Are you enjoying your life or you're doing the things that you feel that you were placed on this earth to do as the man or woman that you are? Or are you forced to get up and go to work every day at a job that you hate just to pay the bills? Well, if the latter's the case, then you're a slave. And in fact, you may be worse than a slave because you have to remember a slave is never in debt. Everything that a slave have, has is taken away from him and then he's just given subsistence level uh, living living standards. You, on the other case, if you're going in debt to maintain the lifestyle that you're living, you're worse than a slave because you're not only indebting yourself today, but you're indebting yourself to the future. So again, the theme here in this podcast is just to, uh, today is to just reiterate to you how bad debt is so that as you close out this year and you go into 2016, if debt has been a problem for you, you can start thinking now about how you can put things into place so that January of 2016, you hit the ground running and you start figuring out ways to either reduce your debt or how to get out of debt altogether. Now, debt isn't all bad. Okay, I use credit cards. I used to have a mortgage on my home. So I'm not 100% opposed to all debt. But I currently happen to be in the position in my life now where I don't have to have a mortgage anymore. I never used a credit card as unsecured debt that went unpaid every month. I just used a credit card out of convenience. Every month in my entire life, whenever the bill came in, I always paid it off. I never bought anything. I never purchased one item other than a home that I didn't have the money to pay for. If I bought a new TV or a new cell phone or if I made some other type of consumer purchase or if my kids were going to participate uh, in an activity or in a sporting event or if we went on vacation, no matter what we did, if I used a credit card for that, I always had more money in my savings that I could you know, draw from that to pay off that credit card debt when it came in at the end of the month. I never, ever took any type of unsecured debt or loan and rolled that over for the next month. If I didn't have the money to buy something, I didn't buy it. Okay, now that was different with my home. Your home is not unsecured debt. Your home is an asset, or it should be anyways. 
Not necessarily an investment asset, but it is an asset that you own that can be readily sold to pay off the debt that you owe against it. So whenever I did buy a home on a mortgage, I always put down at least 20% of the value of that home so that my mortgage was always less than the real value of that property. The property could always be sold at a high enough value to pay off the debt of the loan. That's a secured loan. So I'm not categorically going out and saying you should never take a mortgage out on a house or something like that. That's not my point. I think you should live within your budget. You should live within what you could afford. You shouldn't spend more than two and a half or three times your income on a mortgage. So if you're making $50,000, you should be having a mortgage of around 150. If you make $100,000, you don't want to exceed like a $300,000 mortgage. And then every time you get a pay increase, you don't go out and get a bigger house. You live at the same level that you lived before, even though your income grows, and that's how you build wealth. You're a saver before you're an investor. So again, the point I'm stressing here is is that debt is not necessarily a bad thing if you use it appropriately. I buy things of value. I keep them. I keep them for a long time. I use them to get as much worth out of them as I can before I purchase something new. It's the same way with furniture or with my cell phone or with any other area of my life. That's one of the ways that I've been able to build my wealth. Remember the three-step formula that I always talk about to building wealth. First, you have to earn, then you have to save, and then you can become an investor. Then you can learn how to put that money to work for you. And if you get that nest egg big enough, you don't have to work at all for yourself if you don't want to. Because your assets, your wealth, will be providing enough for you to live off of. That's generally only going to happen for someone that comes out of the middle class or the lower middle class if they are very disciplined savers and if they live a very frugal lifestyle. Now, I'm not talking about taking on a vow of of poverty. I'm just saying to live conservatively. You don't always need the fastest data plan or the newest cell phone or whatever the latest gadget is. That isn't necessarily going to bring you happiness. It's been my experience that happiness is is usually attained when you're doing the things that you feel that you were born to be doing, when you're the man or the woman that you want to be, when your particular moral compass, whatever that is, when it's aligned with the actions that you're living in your life. And the best way to align the actions of your life with your moral principles is to be able to make independent decisions. You don't have to decide to do something because your boss forces you to do it, right? You can take an ethical stand. You don't have to live in a particular place that you don't want to live in just because you can't afford the rent somewhere else or the mortgage or whatever. You can choose where you live and what you do for a living and how you spend your time based on what's important to your particular moral character. And I'm not making any value judgments here. I I mean, I don't care for our purposes here what your sense of purpose is. The the point is, is that for you to be happy, you have to be moving your life in the direction that you're fulfilling that purpose. That's where your ultimate happiness comes from. It's not necessarily in the type of car you drive or how many square foot your house is. It has more to do with you fulfilling a value-based lifestyle and not consumption of specific products or services. The reason that debt puts you in bondage is because you can never get caught up. You can never be that person that you want to be because you're always living paycheck to paycheck and you're always got that next bill that you have to pay. 
you not only can't build up financial independence, you just can't build up any type of independence or resilience at all. And so you have to attack that debt. And it doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if you pay your smallest debt off first or your largest debt or if you attack the one with the biggest credit payments. None of that matters. What what truly matters is, is that you change your lifestyle. You commit to yourself that when you go into the next year, you're not going to spend more than you earn, that you're going to start whittling away and knocking down that old debt, and you're going to retire it, and you're going to get rid of it, and you're going to start with that unsecured debt first, the debt that has no value. So in general, what I'm saying is, is that you worry about your mortgage last. Take care of everything else. Get rid of that car payment. Get rid of the credit card debt. And don't just stop with what is normally considered debt, because I'll tell you the other things that are debt are any type of monthly reoccurring payments that are not based on usage. Like, for example, your water bill or your electric bill, those are utilities. You basically pay so much every month for the amount of electricity you use. So if you conserve on your electricity usage and you use less electricity, usually you're, you know, you'll be paying less each month in electricity. You're paying for what you use, just like your water bill. So that's more of a usage fee than what I consider debt. But here are the things that I consider debt that probably most other people don't consider as debt. And that's like your your cable bill, your cell phone bill, those types of reoccurring monthly fees that are not based on your usage, like internet service or cable service. Well, you're paying that $200 a month, whether you watch TV or not. And so you have to ask yourself, can I make the sacrifice to cut that cable and use that $200 for a different purpose? You know, am I really getting value from that $200 or is it just a waste? Now, again, I'm not saying that you need to take a vow of poverty here and you go live in a in a cave as a hermit or a monk or something. You probably do need internet connectivity. You probably do need some type of a cell phone for communication. You probably need some type of entertainment in your life. Maybe you can cut back. If you have a family and you're on a family plan and, you know, that's costing you two or three hundred dollars a month, maybe not every member of your family needs a cell phone. Now, I know that's heresy. I know that you may think for safety or for the ability to contact your kids that everybody has to have one. But I will remind you that for the last 10,000 years of humanity and recorded history, most kids didn't have a cell phone. So just think about that. Think of areas that you can cut back in because when I talk to people that are deeply in debt, they'll always tell me, well, I can't cut back. I need this. I need that. I need, you know, I need the car. I have to drive to work. I have to have this type of uh, clothing to look good at work and I can't afford to buy it. And so when I shop at Nordstrom's, you know, I have to put it on my credit card and then it, it takes me 15 months to pay it off and blah, blah, blah. Well, what you're saying, if you're that type of person is, you're saying that you can't afford to be free. And I'm not here to argue the point. If you want to live that type of lifestyle, that's fine. But I'm telling you that the probability of you living that kind of lifestyle and then being financially independent sometime in the future when you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old isn't going to happen. And so it's one of those things where, you know, pay me now or pay me later. I know a lot of people like to procrastinate. My message to you is that you should consider the fact that you might be more happier not only today but even into the future if you live a more frugal lifestyle and if you spend your money on the things that really matter to you. So just like there's no get-rich-quick schemes that work, I don't think there's any magic to debt reduction. You just attack it. You look in the mirror and you say, starting today, I'm going to take control of my life. I'm not going to spend more than what I make. 
And in fact, I'm going to conserve. I'm going to live a more frugal lifestyle. I'm going to get rid of some things I don't need. And then I'm going to knock off this debt that I have and I'm going to live well below my means so that I can build up my nest egg, so that I can build up my reserve of wealth and that someday I'm going to be able to put that money to work for me so that my money is working for me and I'm not working for the money. That's the only way you're going to get out of a 50 shades of debt lifestyle. Now, the good news is you can start now. You can start today. You can start where you live. You can start with what resources you have. And the really good news is that when you start, that's when you start becoming a success. If you start living a frugal lifestyle now and whittling down your debt, you won't have to wait for 15 years in the future to be successful. You know, even if that's how long it takes you to get rid of all your debt, it isn't 15 years to your success. You start becoming a success the minute you start living responsibly and living within your means. That's when you start feeling good about yourself. That's when you become a free man or woman. And it can happen today. You don't have to wait for 20 years. So think about that and think about that strongly as we close out October and we go into November and there's only about eight weeks left in 2015. Maybe you didn't hit your financial goals this year. Maybe you spent way too much. Maybe you put yourself deeper in debt. But use these next eight weeks to come up with a plan and a commitment and some conviction on your own part as to how you're going to do better in 2016. That's the message I want to leave you with today. I don't want to be preachy, but I know from the questions I hear from the audience, many of you need to hear this. There's no easy way out of debt. You got yourself into that mess. You need to man up and get yourself out of it. It's tough medicine, but you have to take it. Otherwise, you'll fall for some BS scheme that promises to consolidate your debt, make your debts go away, and that doesn't happen. Someone will just use your vulnerability to rip you off. So, hey, as always, take it for what it's worth. This is just my opinion. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.